I told you know a couple of them eventually that man sometimes I wish that I wanted to die. Welcome to the Depression Files, where we talk about everything related to mental health. From depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. We educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right, I want to welcome Robert Board to the show. Robert, hey, thank you so much for uh, joining me tonight. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure. I know, um, I think I had originally, I think we may have connected via Twitter, and then in addition to that, I know I had interviewed Steve Austin, who I uh, let off the the Depression Files with, and he had said, oh, you got to, during the interview, he was like, you got to check out Robert <laughs> Bourne, interview this guy. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to have you uh, on the show. Why don't we start just, uh, if you don't mind sharing with the listeners something a, a bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Robert Vore. I live in Atlanta with my wife and our dog. Uh, I grew up, uh, you know, as you might imagine, experiencing some depression, some uh, undiagnosed ADHD that kind of played into that a lot. Uh, you know, went off to Auburn for college, partway through that, did some other stuff. But uh, what I do now mostly is uh, stuff in kind of the mental health realm, uh, usually at the intersection of faith and mental health. So uh, Steve and I actually host a podcast together. Uh, that kind of circles around those two topics. Uh, I have a website where I write about those. And then I do some suicide prevention trainings for uh, church staffs or for anybody, really. So I've done like faculties and stuff like that. That's not limited to to just faith stuff. But really, the mission there is uh, focusing on how can we help move the church forwards in being uh, the, the place of healing and of hope that it at, that it is supposed to be in, and sometimes advertises itself as uh given that currently it's it's not all that accessible to people struggling with mental illness. So, uh, yeah, that's my, my heartbeat there. Uh, almost done with my master's in mental health counseling. So I'll be, uh, by this time next year, if everything goes right, I'll be a, a licensed counselor myself. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Hopefully it goes well. Yeah. So you mentioned um, having a long, uh, a long uh, struggle with depression. Yeah. When do you think your depression started? Um, you know, it's one of those things where as you're growing up and going through it, you kind of just are trying to, you know, put your head down and get through it. Um, looking back on it and just having learned more about it, you know, somewhere around the age of 13, 14 is where a lot of, uh, you know, chronic mental health things kind of kick in. So I would say that's probably about right. Uh, somewhere in middle school is where I really remember uh, starting to feel uh, just – I don't know, like something was off, something was different between me and, and the other, you know, kids I was going to school with, feeling very alone, feeling just this weight of, of heaviness. So I would say probably somewhere in that range. So you described it as kind of feeling off, right, and different yeah. from others. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I think uh, when you start going through something like that, it's it's there's a big struggle in that you don't have – words for it and especially at that age and I think this continues into you know later on depending on how how it kind of plays out but you don't have words for it so it's hard to communicate to other people and there's some sense of maybe this is just how everybody feels 
Uh, and so it, it kind of takes some time. And I think they make each other worse of kind of realizing that everybody else doesn't feel this way. Uh, and then, you know, kind of that spirals into, well, I'm wrong for feeling this way, or, you know, I've got to keep this to myself because not everybody feels this way and things like that. So, um, I would say, I don't actually remember what the original question was, but, uh, I think that's, you know, kind of just thinking, Hey, there's something going on here that doesn't seem to be going on with everybody else. Uh, right. but not knowing that like for sure, because m most of what I was doing was trying to put on the same front as I seem I've, I've assumed everybody else was. Right. Right. Do you have, um, examples of symptoms that you may have been going through at age 13, 14? Um, were you able to, to maintain going to class, attending class? Yeah. Yeah. So I did. Um, I, I was never really fantastic at school. Uh, some of the ADHD played into that, but I think it got worse. Um, it, it went from not really being able to focus on anything to not caring about it whatsoever. You know, I just couldn't bring myself to put energy into anything. So, you know, even when I was at school, I would, you know, didn't care. I was just trying to, you know, survive the day, things like that. When I got home, you know, whether I knew I was supposed to be doing something or not, it wouldn't matter. It wasn't even, a, I wasn't even sitting down trying to do it. I just couldn't be bothered whatsoever. And then I think just like the loss of enjoyment of pretty much anything, you know, hanging out with friends or anything like that. It was always just, I'm going to go because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, that's what seems normal to be doing. But there was, it, I don't know, there was a weird like, it's going to sound like it's one of those cheesy, you know, depression commercials, but, you know, everything's in color and then it just starts kind of going to gray. You know, you're hanging out with people, you're doing the things you normally do, but it, it's not, it's not what it once was. Sounds like you were just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But if there were events outside of school or activities, it sounds like you were still able to go? Yeah, yeah, so I was. Um, I think because, again, I, I didn't, I couldn't put words to the fact that it was probably, there was something different going on than with other people. So I figured everybody was just going, just showing up, you know. And there definitely was a sense of, hey, these other people seem like they're having more fun but I think especially at that age, it's hard to distinguish between they're just better at seeming like they're having fun uh, or they actually are having more fun and I'm just kind of here. Yeah, it's a really, really challenging age anyhow with yeah, uh, going yeah. through puberty and dealing with all the changes and and school changing. All of a sudden you're in middle school or junior high and going to different classes, different teachers. Organization yeah. becomes really important, which is really challenging, I think, for students with ADHD. Absolutely. Um, so it sounds like you weren't even interested or concerned about reaching out to anybody because you kind of felt like it was the norm. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, it's so weird at that age because it seems like Maybe you should, you know, even when people, you know, adults or school counselors or whoever, you know, they come around and talk to classes and say, hey, if you're having a hard time, you know, come see us. But that doesn't even, I don't know, I think about it now and I think about when I talk to people who are younger than me and I think sometimes that's obviously a plus to, to be offering that and to try to speak into that. But I don't know, when you're that age, I think it doesn't, it doesn't even seem like it's a realistic thing, you know, regardless of how many times somebody says, Hey, you can talk to us. You can talk to us. You know, my parents are great parents, but it just doesn't seem like a realistic thing. And I think part of that on this side of it now, thinking back has to do with the fact that there's not a lot of modeling of that. You know, you don't see a lot of people in movies or, you know, even older adults, you don't see a lot of people talking about how 
they're not that happy or they need some help getting through things. Uh, and so it just seems like, yeah, this is one of those things, you know, kind of like cheesy, don't do drugs movies or whatever that, yeah, you sit through it, but it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. I think even, even going to therapy, a lot of people don't want to even mention that. Right. Yeah. And, and I've heard like, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard um, that a lot of people out East, it is more of the norm. It's like going to the gym. I'm also going to, you know, go to my therapist um, here in the Midwest, I don't think it's very common. I mean, I definitely meet people who talk about a therapist, but it's not out there like like it should be, I think. Yeah, yeah. When were you able to finally realize that something was going on with you and that you did need to talk to, to somebody, and what were your first steps you did take? Yeah, I think when I got into high school, I mean, it, it got you know, kind of progressively worse as I was just trying to, you know, keep this down. But when I got into high school, I started, uh, you know, entered into a couple romantic relationships. And I, those were, I mean, they were fine. There was a lot of me finding happiness in those things. And so they kind of spiraled out of control. But that was the first time where I felt like I trusted somebody enough to kind of tell them a little bit about what was going on, you know, and experienced a mixture of reactions. You know, they were also in high school, obviously. So, I don't know that they knew really what to do with that. You know, it, uh, thinking back on it, like, I don't know, I would say for a high schooler, that's a good step, but also that's not, you know, they can't carry that. They don't know, you know, what to do with that either. So yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, can you give an example of what you started to share with your high school, either the, the women you had were seeing or your romantic relationships or others? What were the, what were the beginning of those conversations like? Yeah, I think, you know, it would usually be in moments that were already kind of emotionally charged. So whether it was a, a fight or something like that, but I, I started to share how much I felt, you know, just miserable all the time. I, I told, you know, a couple of them eventually that, man, sometimes I wish that I wanted to die, you know, um, especially later at night when I was feeling real lonely and things like that. Um, and again, I mean, they responded the best they could. I mean, they cared about me, obviously. But again, I mean, what do you say to that, you know, when you're in high school? So... Yeah, I would imagine it would be pretty scary for them to either they get really scared or they don't know what to do or they don't believe it or yeah, that would be challenging. Uh, to yeah, absolutely. So then you just kind of plugged through high school and made your way through high school without any kind of support for what you were going through. Yeah, I mean, not any, not any support that was you know no professional support, no great support systems. You know, I, I mean, I had close friends kind of as anybody did, but so, I, I mean, they were there to talk sometimes when I needed to. It's just a matter of, you know, after the first time or two that you tell somebody something and they don't really know what to do with it, you know, it kind of seems like what's the point of, you know, you, it, not to mention, uh, you know, one of the things that kind of comes with depression or at least my depression was feeling like a burden on other people. So if I'm constantly trying to, you know, put my, miserable whatever on them you know i start feeling bad for doing that so uh survived though somehow yeah but and you mentioned it was progressively getting worse from middle school into high school so describe that what was it that was worse um i would say the the suicidal aspects of it were getting progressively worse you know in middle school i remember thinking you know i have some pocket knives from when i was in boy scouts you know what could i do with those or things like that you know we got into high school, I remember, you know, actually taking them out and kind of feeling what that would feel like on my wrist or things like that. Uh, my bedroom, in my parents' house opened 
the window opened onto uh, a roof of our deck, which I used to sneak out and smoke cigarettes sometimes. But especially late at night, uh, I would kind of look off the edge onto where the, our driveway was and, you know, get a little closer than probably I should until I got too scared and, and kind of moved back. But I was always kind of looking at it thinking, you know, it would take like one second to really do this thing. Um, and it's only because I was always, you know, I would get too scared that I would kind of back up. But um, I don't know, I always kind of credit it to that, that I'm still alive only because it was so scary, you know, to, to take that step. Or, you know, if I had a knife pushed on my wrist, it only it started to hurt too bad. So then I stopped, you know, right, um, things right. like that. What about, you know, you mentioned that it was scary, kind of like looking over the edge was scary and you would back away. What uh, was there any kind of fear about the fact that you were having those kinds of thoughts? Because that was huge for me. Like I had kind of created a plan and the fact that I had created a plan was scarier than hell for me. And that was yeah. really the scary yeah. part. I couldn't believe I had gotten to that point. So yeah. was there some of that as well? Like, well, I can't believe that I was just standing at the edge of this thing. Um, not really. I mean, I, I think I knew that that wasn't ideal, obviously. Um, I think by that point you start to realize this isn't a thing that, that that's happening for everybody. Um, but mostly it was just, how can I get through this? How can I keep going? You know? Um, so what, had, uh, so you made it through high school and then, uh, what happened after high school then? Yeah. So the end of high school was the, the first time that I started trying to um, I guess that I, I discovered, quote unquote, the use of any kind of substance that would kind of help, you know, at least momentarily. I'm not saying it helps overall, so nobody take it like that. But self, you know, so yeah, so you know, end of high school, uh, started drinking for the first time, started doing some other drugs for the first time, uh, went off to college, which you know, that whole transition, uh, really easy to a feel a lot feel really alone again, uh, and be really easy to obtain pretty much anything that you want to. So, uh, first few years of college kind of went, I don't know, stereotypically into the, you know, drinking a lot, uh, using other substances a lot, uh, which to me was less about like, Hey, let's all have fun and party and more about, Hey, for these few moments, I, I'm, I don't feel as terrible. And then I would wake up and, you know, kind of do the whole thing over again where the the whole day I was feeling pretty miserable again. So how quickly can I get to the nighttime again where it's acceptable to start drinking again? Things like that. What would you be doing to get through your day? I mean, were you attending classes? Yeah, so I attended classes. I was in a, a smaller program within, so I went to Auburn University, but I was in the music ed program, which was a little smaller. So if you didn't go, it was pretty obvious to everybody and the professors. So I had some friends that were holding me accountable uh, in, in those regards. But I think what helped is I got to play music a lot of the time, as you would imagine, as a music major. And music has always been a, um, a, a, a source of peace for me. So if I could get in a room and play music for half an hour, you know, it kind of keeps those demons at bay, as it were. Um, and so I think that helped that a lot of the time I was getting to play music and things like that. So that sounds like one of the really healthy ways that you were able to manage through, through the music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, was this pretty much every night, hard, heavy with the drugs, heavy with the alcohol, waking up feeling like crap, I would imagine, if you were, were doing too much and just hung over? Yeah, it was, um, 
I would say mostly on the weekends. I mean, there was a couple of days in there, but it also, you know, it's kind of a weird contradiction that it, it's a kind of a good uh, way to keep it at bay, but also it requires a good bit of energy to, you know, go find people because it's still not super socially acceptable to drink all by yourself. And for the first few years of college, you can't really buy your own drinks or anything anyway. So, you know, I think what kept it from being every single night or anything like that was the fact that I needed other people to, to do any of that. Uh, which requires all the energy of pretending like you want to hang out with people and stuff anyway. So a lot of times during the week, it was, you know, just go back to my dorm, lay down, you know, watch TV. Uh, And then on the weekends when, you know, you can kind of get by with everybody's already hanging out and you don't have to be the one putting a lot of energy into it. Right, right. And were you still experiencing suicidal thoughts at this point? Yeah, so there was a a couple times... um, where it got pretty bad. I mean, there's like kind of active suicidal stuff and then there's passive suicidal stuff like driving when you know you shouldn't be and things like that. You know, um, I remember there's a couple of times driving around after, you know, having probably too many drinks to drive around, just thinking, is there anything that I can find that I could just crash into full speed that it wouldn't be like anybody's property? Cause I didn't want to feel bad and ruin somebody, you know, if you crash into a store or something, mm-hmm but that it would look enough like an accident where it would be fine, you know, cause you don't want to put your family through, you know, a suicide loss or anything like that. So I remember trying to do things like that, but never, never finding anywhere that would work, you know, that fit my specific criteria. So was there a point at, uh, within your college years that you finally reached out for help? Yeah. So, uh, I ended up one night I was, um, you know, not in a, in a hundred percent normal state of mind and, uh, said some things that I guess were really concerning to a friend of mine. And so she said, uh, and I remember this to this day, she said, Hey, I'm worried about you. This isn't okay. Will you go to counseling if I go with you? And I agreed because we both knew that I wasn't going to go by myself. And so she called the, you know, the, um, med clinic and set up an appointment. They had like the, the second floor was a, a student counseling center. So she called and made the appointment and then she drove me and then she sat in the waiting room the whole time I was in there, which to this day I use an ex- as an example when I'm doing suicide prevention trainings or anything like that of the more that you can eliminate barriers for somebody of getting help, the better it is because I wouldn't have gone if she hadn't called and set up the appointment. I probably wouldn't have gone if she hadn't drove me. I wouldn't have, you know, just all those steps of somebody helping me to get there, you know, is such a a huge thing. That's an awesome friend. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. So what was that appointment like? Do you remember a meeting with a counselor and what that appointment felt like? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's, it's a little interesting thinking back on it, being on the other side of it now, because I'm in my internship with my program. So I'm seeing clients. Uh, and so it's interesting thinking back on it. I remember, going in and checking in. I remember filling out, uh, there's a computer that has, you know, you answer a bunch of questions, uh, which now I know, you know, they pull up in the back so they know kind of where to steer the, the conversation. So I remember doing that. I remember going back there. It was a lady, don't remember her name at all, but talking through, and it was definitely weird, you know? Um, and I, again, I reference that a lot when I'm talking with people who I think, hey, I'm, I'm trying to suggest counseling to you. I'm not going to lie and tell you that it's going to be super comfortable because it's not you know the first time you go to a dentist the first time you go anywhere it's kind of weird but I remember when I left feeling better that I had gotten to talk to somebody that there was somebody who I could say 
anything that was happening, that they weren't going to freak out. And that there was somebody who seemed, when I told them that, they were calm. And they said, hey, I think we can help you. This isn't, um, it's not normal, but it's not like you're the only person in the whole world that's going through these things. You know, we, we can definitely help you. We can work on some things. Uh, and so I remember that being an immense source of, of relief. Were you uh, completely open and honest with the person? Uh, definitely not. No, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, as, as any first interaction goes, right. uh, you're trying to feel the person out. You're trying to, uh, especially if you've never been, you know, sitting across from a counselor before. Uh, and so, you know, you tell kind of enough just to, uh, is this kind of feeling out of what can I tell you that I can, I can tell if you are okay to tell the rest of it, but without telling you so much that you know what I don't want you to know, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. kind of like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this much. So I know if you can handle this much, but without kind of opening the door for more questions, which it did anyway, she was great at her job, you know, yeah. um, of, of kind of asking follow-up questions. So, uh, the more I went back, the more I was honest. So sounds like you went back to that same person and this, was this a therapy talk therapist that you were seeing then? Yeah, so I went back a couple times. Uh, it's the same as so a lot of major universities. You get like a certain number for free per semester, you know, things like that. So I went back a couple times. Um, stopped willingly, going out willingly at uh, that point. Yeah, willingly. Um, it was you know she the friend she would check in on me and say, hey, did you schedule another appointment? Um, things like that. Uh, eventually, she kind of stopped doing that, which is totally fair. That's not her job. Uh, and then eventually, I stopped going. Uh, it's kind of one of the the um, the weird things about mental health, right, is when you start feeling better, then you think, oh, good, then I can stop doing the things that were making me feel better. You know, it's a big problem with taking medication or going to counseling or whatever. So stopped going. Uh, and then the next year, uh, I, I guess probably a year, year and a half later, I left uh, for a semester and went and did an internship at a, a nonprofit. And while I was there, uh, did some counseling down there, uh, knew that I needed I needed to get back into it. So did some counseling, uh, there with a different person, which I, you know, walked in and was super honest the first time because I knew that that's how it worked. You know, it's, I don't know, once you kind of get used to it, it's a sense of like, I'm not going to mess around. I know what I'm here for. I know, you know, that that's your job. You know, it's the same as I think eventually when you get older and you go to the doctor and they say, is anything wrong? And you say, yep, I, I brought a list, you know, right. because that's what you're there for. There's no, sense in not telling them. Yeah. And I think for the sake of listeners to be as honest as possible is really important so that they can help you properly. And I think I do understand how it can be difficult at first. And I think that's why another really important thing with talk therapy is finding someone you're comfortable with, someone yeah. that you can open up, be honest, be truthful. And, uh, that relationship is really important. And if, if I meet someone who says they didn't go back to counseling cause they didn't it wasn't for them. I always ask them, you know, give it another shot with somebody else. If you find Absolutely. somebody you, you can click with, it's so much better. Absolutely. I mean, even being on the kind of the other side of it now, if there are people that come in like, and, and we're not clicking, that's fine. Like, it's not going to hurt my feelings, but like, please go find somebody you do click with. You know, it's not, it is, I'm not going to click with every single person ever. I'm going to yeah. do my best because I care and that's why I'm there. But I get that, you know, and, th and that's a great attitude to have, I think, as a counselor or a clinician too, to be able to not take it personally and know, hey, I'm not going to click with everybody. I'm not going to take that personally. I'm not going to beat myself up. about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So so you um, 
So you found somebody uh, through the at the while you were doing your internship, started mm-hmm. started going. You were straight up with them, and what was your depression level like at that point? Um, it kind of so for me, and I don't know that this is everybody's experience, but my my depression kind of comes and goes in waves, right? So for a few months, I'll be feeling pretty fine, you know, um, and then for a few months. And it's not even like something major happens. It might, it might not. But then for a few months, I just start feeling really crappy again, you know. So um, so it had kind of gotten better. And then when I was down there, it had gotten worse, which is when I said, hey, I'm going to find a counselor down here. Um, and he, he helped me talk through, you know, some things. Again, it was talk therapy. Uh, there, there wasn't a psychiatrist involved, so I wasn't prescribed any medications. Um, so we talked through some stuff, uh, got – a little bit better. And then I, I ended up leaving that to go back because the internship had finished. So I went back uh, to, to school. And at that point, I remember I was going back to school and my thought was, I'm going to find a group of people that I feel comfortable talking about the stuff with that are friends, you know, that, that I trust them and that our relationships are such that that is okay to do. Right. Um, and so when I got back, that was my main goal. You know, I had some friends, they were awesome. Uh, but they kind of, it was the, it was your stereotypical, if you're feeling bad, you know, let me buy you a drink, which for me made it worse, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I still had those friends, they were fine, but I spent a lot of time intentionally finding people that I knew I could talk through things in kind of a healthier manner with, uh, which was huge for me. They're still my best friends today are the friends I found during that period. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so when you First of all, you said uh, for you it kind of comes and goes. A few months might be good. A few months might be bad. Have you yeah. been able to find some type of pattern? I know like there's sad, right, seasonal affective disorder where some people yeah. get, get depression in the winter months and the darker months. Um, any kind of pattern for you or, or is it just you, you haven't really been able to figure anything out? Um, I haven't been able to kind of exactly nail it down. I know some things that kind of point me in that direction. For example, if I'm not, uh, if there's a long period of time, I have a tendency to overbook myself, you know, so to commit to doing a bunch of things and then there's no time for me to just sit and relax and rest. Self-care. So in seasons like that, uh, I notice uh, a turn for the worst. Uh, luckily I've learned, you know, some warning signs there. So for example, I get, uh, if I haven't slept enough in a long, in, you know, a couple days or a week or so, uh, I have sleep paralysis, which is the most terrifying thing I can possibly imagine, uh, where you your brain wakes up, but the rest of you doesn't. So you like know that you're awake and you can hear everything, but you can't move anything. Whoa. It's the worst. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I haven't heard uh, of it. And until I figured out why that was happening, it was terrible. But so like I know now that that is a way that my body is saying, hey, you need to sleep. You need to stop what you're doing and sleep you know, um, and so I, I make sure whatever I'm doing, you know, later that day, I say, Hey, I'm going to cancel a couple things. I'm going to go to bed early. I know that that's the case, you know, so things like that, where I know, I know, I know situations and, um, statuses, I guess, I don't know, things where I am putting myself kind of more at risk yeah. for taking a turn for the worse. And I make sure to, if I notice myself going that direction to kind of course, correct, yeah, I think that's actually one of the benefits of having been through the depression to kind of learn your own signs. And Absolutely. If people, and if people can do that, and if it's early enough, and then really hit those 
um, supportive strategies as hard as you can to to alleviate it is huge i think do you have uh so that's one of your early symptoms that's really before you kind of go downhill but you'll know okay this is this is yeah it. any yeah. any other kind of telltale signs for you that you watch out for on your um body sensations maybe or anything else um, i think there's thought patterns that i can recognize now that i couldn't at, at once you know so um for example i like and I, again, I don't know if this is for the way that everybody experiences it, but so I'll have, you know, kind of a negative thought that's a reaction for something and then it will kind of feed back into itself and spiral and spiral and spiral. And so I've learned um, kind of what the beginning of those sound like for me. And so, right, for, for one, sorry. Ah, no problem. Uh, so, you know, for example, one that, that comes up a lot for me is that I'm um, hurting the people around me, right? So uh, if, if we're in a, a tough financial situation one month, you know, I know that my brain defaults to that I've ruined my wife's life by getting married, right? Because if she hadn't married me, maybe she would have married somebody else who was rich, you know, whatever it is. Mm. Uh, and so when things like that start happening, I can either kind of go down the path of you're ruining her life. You're not even worthless. You're worse than worthless because Spir you're actively hurting people. Spiraling down, ruminating. Right. Up. Right. And so it's my goal in that moment, if I can, to find somebody that's going to tell me something that is true instead. Right. So uh, one of the a lot of the early conversations my wife and I had when we were first dating were about things like this, where I would say, here's what here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm hearing. I need you to tell me that that's not the case. And so, you know, she's really awesome about it. She'll say something and she'll see something kind of shift in me and she'll say, okay, what did you just hear? Because, and I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, if she said, for example, man, it's really tight this month. I wish we had some more money. And then she'll pause and she'll say, what did you just hear me say? And I'll say, I'll be honest. I heard you say, you don't make enough money. Yeah you know, I'm ruining your life, you know, stuff. And so right. she gets get off your lazy and ass say, and do some work. Yeah. Right. When really that yeah. isn't at all what she meant. Right. So yeah. she gets to say that, Hey, that's not what I meant. You know, we did this thing together where, you know, and so reaching out to people like that as you know, my brother or some other good friends, uh, are all really good at, because we've had those conversations ahead of time of yeah. like, Hey, here's what I'm, here's what it's going to sound like. And this is what I need you to do they can kind of step into that with me. That's an awesome support um, for yeah. you. Have you done any of the CBT counseling, cognitive behavioral therapy? Because that's, I mean, that's what a lot of it is about, right? And, yeah. and getting yourself to be able to recognize it too, right? So you can say, yeah. whoa, 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 to yourself. She didn't just say that I'm a lazy bum sitting here. She said, right. we're tight and she's right. And um, yeah, and stopping those negative thoughts. Uh, it, it is pretty incredible how we can create a thought from something that was said that may be completely wrong. And and then we change our behaviors based on that thought. And it yeah. gets so much worse if you are in a bad place in regards to your depression, because it's really easy to go down that path of, well, I know what she meant is I'm a lazy bum. Now I'm right. now I'm going to start beating myself up and you, and you start changing your behaviors based on those negative thoughts that aren't even accurate. Yeah. yeah. So that's great that you have people um, that understand that about you and help you check yourself. Yeah. And that's why, you know, some of the other things play into it, because if I'm exhausted, if I've been running myself ragged for a week, then I ha I'm more likely probably to have that thought. 
And I'm less likely to, t- to have the energy to then enter into a conversation of, hey, here's what's going on. I need you know this help, that help. I'm more likely to say, fine, I'm just going to bed, whatever, and just stick with my own brain you know, which is exa- is exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sleep, like you mentioned too, is so critical. Um, it is, it's just so critical. I know for me, that was like the first thing the psychiatrist wanted to get under control. You know, I wasn't sleeping mm-hmm. much at all and whether it's the depression or the lack of sleep, I don't even know sometimes, right? Some of my yeah. memory issues, I, I still wonder to this date, was that my depression, which it very well could have been, or was it just the fact that I was sleeping about four to six hours a week, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, which can really, really mess with you. So, um, this was, when did you start? So this was after college, right? That you started seeing a therapist? Yeah. So oh, I, saw, I saw the one in college. I saw one during the internship. And then, uh, after, after I got back, I, you know, made some, some solid friendships. And then, uh, for my last little bit, I actually went and saw a psychiatrist for the first time, uh, which was immensely helpful. He actually helped talk me through some stuff and got me on some medicine for the ADHD, okay. which, helped a ton as far as it even like kind of had side effects of helping the depression because when I can accomplish the things that I know I need to accomplish when I can focus on things it's a whole lot easier for me to see myself as being productive you know at the end of the day I can say hey I've accomplished this list of things instead of I couldn't focus on anything and now you know again I feel like a worthless piece of crap which right. I'm, you know, I can't fight that feeling you know yeah. so it, it kind of so I'm still on the the ADHD medicine uh, to this day, but there, there's a definite shift in days when I'm not on that medicine days when I am, uh, even in kind of the depression realm of things, because it's so much easier to see myself as like a productive member of society that's accomplishing Mm. things. So is that a medicine, a medication that you could take daily? And is there a reason that you're not? Uh, so I do take it daily. There are sometimes, um, depending on, I've changed insurance a couple times, depending on jobs. And there are times where, uh, I think maybe I can stretch this out, right? So I don't have to go back and pay for it again in those tight months. So maybe if it's the weekend or if I don't have a lot to do, I'll think maybe, I, maybe I'm fine today and, and just skip it so that it lasts longer. Uh, which ah, I would that, not recommend to anybody listening. Please don't do that. Yeah, but but people are in that situation, right? Yeah, they change I mean, jobs or they don't have insurance and they can't afford insurance and they then can't afford the meds. So mm-hmm. I don't think you're you know so far out of the realm of what what is happening to a lot of people. Unfortunately, the way yeah. our medical system works, the way our insurance works, and that Absolutely. should never ever happen. Right. You shouldn't have to stretch your meds because insurance isn't allowing you to get the medication that your doctor says you need. Oh, dude, I'm so, me, so with you. Makes me so angry. Um, so right now, uh, it sounds like you've built a cool um, support group, some friends, people that you trust that you can talk to about it. Um, yeah. You do have your ADHD meds when you're well insured and uh <laughs> And then your wife and people who help you with your thought patterns, you know, kind of a telltale about sleep and, and you know that sleep's a, an important piece for you. Anything else that you're currently doing to stay mentally fit? Um, I think one of the, the most interesting things that I don't think I expected is since I kind of have taken on this mental health advocacy online, right? So writing about mental health in the church and hosting this podcast, and then even now being on the counselor side of things, 
uh, I found myself, you know, when I start uh, trying to stretch my meds or do, doing things, I, I often think, hey, if you're not going to do what you would tell somebody else to do, then like this whole thing is bullshit, right? So if I start thinking, hey, I'm not going to, you know, somebody says, hey, how are you doing? And I say, oh, I'm good, even though I know I'm not. I, within, I don't know, two minutes think, I have to go back and tell them. And people probably think it's pretty weird. You know, I'll have friends that say, hey, how are you doing? I'm, oh, good, I'm good. And then I go on. And then I call them, you know, five minutes later, I say, hey, I got to tell you, I was lying to you. I'm, it's, it's, a, it's a hard day. I'm struggling. But it's because I think, hey, if, if all the people that, you know, read my thing or, or listen to my show or even come to me for mental health treatment, if I want them to do the things that I'm suggesting, right? And so if I'm not going to do it, then like this whole thing is bullshit and yeah, so you, you want to walk the talk right yeah yeah that, that's so it's awesome actually, it's been a weird like side effect of that that i didn't see coming but has yeah. been pretty helpful that's awesome that that's similar to advice i hear about you know we talked about beating yourself up with thoughts and stuff and when you beat yourself up think about like what you would tell your best friend who was in that situation absolutely right yeah. and we are oftentimes so much more kind and considerate and loving to what we would how we would handle the same exact situation of a best friend and then we beat the crap out of ourselves it's amazing yeah. isn't it <laughs> absolutely um so i want to hear uh more about uh your blog your the work you do i know you've got a website can you share with the listeners the website first of all because i think they can probably get to most of your stuff from your website Absolutely. Yeah. You can find that at robert-vore.com. So like robert-vore.com. Uh, and you can find most of the stuff from there. There's tabs to the blog. There's tabs to suicide prevention trainings. There's a tab to the, the podcast that I do with Steve. Uh, so you're more than welcome to check all that stuff out. Uh, a lot of it centers on faith and mental health, but a lot of it you know, there's a huge realm there. And so it kind of depends the spectrum. Some of it's mostly about mental health. Some of it's mostly about faith. I, I try for most of it to be somewhere where they intersect, but you know, yeah. kind of just depends. Yeah. Your site, by the way, is very user-friendly. Um, oh, I think it's a, a real kind of clean site. It's easy to maneuver around and find stuff. Thank um, you. so you do some public speaking, you do some blogging and you do some, the podcast, of course. Um, which is there one that you find you're you're spending more of your time on at least at this current uh, time? Yeah, so these days I would say the podcast uh, I do more of that than the others, only because uh, being in grad school uh, takes up a lot of the spare time that I have. So I find myself. I mean, if you look at the blog, you'll see kind of exponentially the number of blog posts go down over time, uh, which corresponds with the number of papers that I have to write for classes, you know, over time. Uh, so I always say to people, hey, they, people say, hey, you're you're not writing very much recently. I say, I am. It's all just very boring. You don't like. I have to turn them all in, you know. <laughs> right. uh, so that's a little that kind of goes by the wayside. And then the public speaking, I do. I mean, that, that kind of comes in waves too. You know. I'll, I'll do some preaching at churches or youth groups. Uh, I'll do some uh, some uh, suicide prevention trainings, right? So I do those every couple months. Uh, right now, I'm running a special for anybody, any groups that want to get it done. Uh, if you book it by the end of September uh, for Suicide Prevention Month, then it's 10% off the whole training, you okay. know, things like that. So cool. uh, it kind of just depends. But the I try to keep the podcast as regular as I can because I know there's people subscribed and we get cool guests. So yeah. uh, it's not, it's not necessarily on me to create all the content as I'm sure you understand. Right. Right. 
I do. I I did see uh, on your website that your suicide prevention work. You were trained in QPR, right? Yeah, yeah. And can you remind uh, me and the listeners what QPR stands for? Yeah, so QPR stands for Question, Persuade, and Refer. Uh, and I'm certified through the QPR Institute as a trainer, so I can instruct and certify other people in that. Uh, and it's just a method of uh, three steps to kind of remember and take if you are encountering somebody who seems like they might be in a suicidal crisis, you know, to question them, to, you know, just ask, you know, because that's one of the biggest hurdles is, can I can I ask somebody if if they're thinking yes do it yes. this research that says absolutely no yeah. downsides yeah uh, I mean they might get mad at you but you know that is what it is uh, you know persuade them hey please stay alive at least in this moment uh, and then refer how can I connect this person with mental health professionals who know what they're doing so we liken it a lot to CPR right it's not your goal to ultimately fix whatever's wrong, you know, it's your goal to how do I keep them alive until the EMTs come or until the, you know, so how can I keep this person alive and connect them to the mental health resources that are available? Yeah, that's awesome. So I um, wanted to learn more about QPR and just different ways of intervening with people who may have suicidal thoughts or be suicidal. So I actually, uh, I know that NAMI, um, National Alliance on Mental Illness, shares workshops that anybody can go to. And then I yeah. ended up actually just, uh, I watched one online. Uh, there was a gentleman yeah. <laughs> who was presenting at a university. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it, it seemed to me to be really basic and not to take away anything from it. I mean, it is incredibly important stuff, but really yeah. it's as simple as what you talked about right there, right? Like you question, yeah, yeah. you really directly ask, um, you know, if they're thinking about suicide and you, uh, yeah, and then you, you get them in the right place. And depending upon their response, it might mean like your friend who went with you, right? Or it might yeah. mean, you know what, we're going to call 911 and I'll stay with you if it's yeah. that dire of a situation. Yeah, so no, that, I mean, I agree. That's that's one of the things I love about it because there's a couple different programs. You know, there's Assist and yeah. uh, there's a handful of other ones. But what I love about QPR and why I went through the process of being able to be an instructor in that that particular program is because it's so simple, not in a negative way, but it's easy to remember, you know, it's easy for the the layperson. Uh, I remember back when I exactly. had gone through a training, but not through the, the, the instructor training, I remember being in a situation where I needed to use it and I could remember it from, you know, a year or two years ago because it's, it's so easy to remember. So that's why I I, I love it. Yeah. It's easy. It's logical. It makes sense. Right. So yeah, that's really cool. Hey, uh, tell us about your uh, podcast. I want to hear about that. And you, you you do the podcast with Steve Austin, right? Again, I I launched the show with Steve. He was great to have on the show. Tell us about the podcast. Yeah. So it's called CXMH, just the letters CXMH. uh, And you can Find that on uh, iTunes or Google Play, or uh, if you go to cxmhpodcast.com, uh, there's you know show notes for each one, and there's a little player you can listen to it there if you want. Uh, but we bring on, hey, we bring sorry, on guests. sorry to interrupt. Before you get into it, what what does it stand for? I was trying to figure that out. I, <laughs> I assumed, I guess the C was Christian, maybe because you both are very faith based, and I figured the M and H was mental health. Those were my guesses, but I looked on the web the website. I couldn't find anything. I noticed that you kind of just breezed past it right here and now. So, is this like a top secret thing? Like one of those pieces so, uh, you can't answer? 
No, so it's not. Uh, the funny part is, so last summer, so not the summer we just had, but the summer before that, uh, me and Steve and a couple other people hosted like a weekly Twitter chat uh, about faith and mental health. And I really wanted the hashtag to be hashtag CXMH and nobody else liked it. So we went with like hashtag church MH or something like that. Uh, and so when the podcast idea kind of sprung up, I launched it as that and then, uh, got Steve on board a little later. Uh, but so it's, it's super nerdy. So it's kind of, it's like Christianity by mental health because the tagline is like, uh, a podcast at the intersection of Christianity and mental health. So the X is kind of the intersection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the double meaning is uh, in the medical field, including the mental health field, right? We use uh, something H as a, a shorthand a lot. So if you're writing a treatment plan, you'll put TH plan or, you know, diagnosis is DX or symptoms, you know, stuff like that. And so the CX for Christianity uh, to me was kind of a clever nod towards that side of things. So that's uh, awesome. I love it. I don't think Steve knew that until. <laughs> Till he listens for, uh, to this podcast. <laughs> well, so the funny part is I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast and he never asked until we've done a couple interviews for podcasts together. Uh, and we did one together and they asked it and I explained all that. And he on that show was like, Oh, I never knew any of this. Uh, so it's indicative funny. of Steve and I's friendship. I think that's very funny. So tell us about the show. Yeah, so we bring guests on. We bring faith leaders, uh, so Christian bloggers, authors, pastors, things like that. Uh, the goal is to bring one of those and a mental health professional on uh, to talk about kind of a, a, a certain topic. So, for example, if we wanted to do one on uh, youth and adolescence, we might bring somebody who's well-known for writing about youth ministry and then somebody who you know has written a lot of done some research on uh, counseling adolescents or things like that. So we did one on uh, men's mental health where we brought somebody who had written a, a Christian book on you know men and, and the way the church handles manhood kind of weird. And then we brought somebody who has done a lot of research on men's mental health and why men are less likely to ask for health and things like that. So uh, the goal is to do something like that every episode. As you can imagine, scheduling four different people to be on a show uh, is a little harder than you might think or oh my you goodness. probably know. I, oh my Listeners. goodness, I can imagine. It's hard enough just getting one guest scheduled. Yeah, yeah. so uh, some of them are like that. Some of them end up just being you know, a, a faith person who we know has had a, a, a backstory with mental health, things like that. Um, some of them end up being just uh, mental health stuff, you know, and we ask hey, if I'm a pastor, how can I use this or things like that. So uh, again, it kind of varies on the spectrum of faith and mental health, whether it's more faith or more mental health. Uh, but we try to get them all in that realm somewhere. Okay, cool. So there's always at least one guest on the show? There's always at least one guest. It's very rare that there's not. Uh, I think we've done like one or two episodes where it's just Steve and I, but those are usually like bonus episodes that we release you know, halfway through the week that are only 10 minutes long or something okay. like that. And I, I don't even remember now if you guys are in the same town, but so are you guys doing this via Skype or together in a room or what, how do you guys do that? No, all via Skype. So I'm in Atlanta, he's in Birmingham, oh, uh, right. which is not too far, but you know, yeah. uh, we've actually never met in person. Wow. <laughs> so okay. uh, one of these days we're going to, we've been tossing around the idea of CXMH live shows. Uh, we have a bunch of people on board. We just have to kind of schedule it all out, uh, so one of these days we'll, we'll meet each other in person. Yeah. So does that get complicated with four different people on Skype? It's probably pretty slick these days, actually. Yeah, it's not too bad. As long as everybody has a good, you know, internet connection, we're usually all right. So, uh, kind of just, it's, it's 
It's all right. It's not uh, too bad. What we've, about, we've had some problems. Yeah. I, I, I always wonder how, when there are two hosts and then a guest, like, is it, do, do you guys flow pretty well? Um, is it challenging? Because he's asking a question. You want to ask a question. Who's going to jump in? You both jump yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so look, people that listen to this are going to get the whole backstory that if you listen to that show, you don't know. Uh, so we actually usually have, uh, we're both on the computer obviously. And so we'll have, uh, sometimes we'll have like a Google document that we've typed a, a bunch of questions in, things like that. Uh, and within Google documents, there's a little chat box. And so him and I are usually chatting, you know, so the guest will be answering and we'll say, you go next or wait, I have a question or I have a follow-up or, you know, Hey, it's about time to wrap up things like that. So, uh, it, it flows pretty well like that. Uh, it's usually whoever knows a little bit more about the guest will kind of take the lead. So you'll notice, uh, episodes where after the intro, which is just him and I, uh, if I introduce the guest, which is most of the time, I've probably set the interview up. Uh, there's a couple of times where he's introduced the guest, you know, done their bio, uh, usually just means that he knows that person a little better. He knows their work a little better. So I'm going to let him take the lead because yeah. there's no reason, you know, he, he has some better questions and things like that. Ah, oh, that's really cool. That's a cool system. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean it, that is a really cool way to organize it. Being able to chat while you're, you're going, um, how many episodes do you guys have? There are, uh, so we just put out the 19th full episode. Uh, that being said, there's a couple very, that, we have our main episodes where there's guests and stuff. Uh, we have a handful of episodes that, like I said, are just kind of Steve and I doing bonus material, things like that. And then uh, there's another type of episode that we called Postscripts, or PS, where uh, we got some people who, if we knew of a, a blog post or an article that we knew that tied in really well with what we had talked about the episode before, we had them just record them reading it, and then we put that behind, like on the Wednesday after a Monday an episode came out. So... All in all, I think there's closer to 30-something in my iTunes folder, uh, but there's 19 full episodes and then a handful of, of other offerings in there. Okay, awesome. And again, uh, if people want to get to that podcast, uh, would they just go to your website that you mentioned, or is there a different website they should go directly to? Yeah, you can find that from my website if you want, or you can go to cxmhpodcast.com, and there's big links right up at the top for uh, iTunes and for Google Play, or if you just want the RSS feed, uh, okay. we're on you know social media on Twitter or face uh, Twitter or Instagram at CXMH Podcast, or if you just search CXMH on on Facebook, it's a pretty unique title, so there's not a lot else popping up. Yeah, awesome. Um, do you have a favorite episode? Ooh, favorite episode. We did an episode on. Okay, so the nerdy half of me, we did an episode on non-suicidal self-injury that I loved, uh, where a lady came on uh, who, she's a doctor and she's done a lot of research on it, uh, where she talked through kind of the science of what's happening in the brain when somebody is self-injuring, things like that. Uh, I know our most popular by numbers, we did one uh, with William Paul Young, who wrote The Shack right before that movie came out. And then we did an episode on bipolar, where we had a mental health representative and a faith representative, like a, a pastor, both of whom uh, are diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And we had both of them come on and kind of share their story and interact with how they both uh, deal with that in their regular lives and things like that. So I know that, that those are some of the popular ones. Oh, that's really cool. Any, uh, did any, anything that you can share with us that like really shocked you or surprised you or caught you off guard? 
doing the podcasts? Um, so we had Kay Warren on last week who, uh, if people who are in the church world, uh, Rick Warren is, uh, you know, pretty famous mega pastor or whatever. It's his wife and they lost a son to suicide a couple of years back. And so we had her on the show and we kind of got that connection because she had found Steve somehow. And then Steve mailed her some of his books. And she, during the episode, uh, mentioned that she had read Steve's books and uh, was it was this beautiful moment. She was encouraging him of, you know, I'm so thankful that you're still here because if you've read any of Steve's book, you know, one of them is very personal about his suicide attempt and things like that. Uh, and so she started crying, you know, saying it to him. And he, of course, he loves this lady. So he's floored that she's read his book. So he starts crying. And so in our little chat, he types, you know, you got to do the rest of the episode. <laughs> uh, so then so then I come in, you know, they're both having this beautiful moment. And so I'm like, so my next question is, uh, so I'm sure I sound like an idiot because <laughs> what do you say after that? You know, but it was, it was fine. It was awesome. Yeah, that is great. That, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that you must've felt uh, a bit on the spot there. Yeah. Well, it's just, um, what do you say to follow that? You know? Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. Right. That's really cool. Um, yeah. so before we wrap up, I'm wondering, uh, if you have any kind of, final tips, suggestions, advice, or kind of words of hope for the listeners if they happen to be struggling at a point right now? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say a couple of things. I would say one, if you can please ask for help, you know, whether it's from friends or people you trust, whether it's a mental health professional. Um, obviously I believe in both of those things. Um, I think that community and the people we have around us is is a huge factor in our life. Um, I would say if you're in the midst of it right now, um, that there's hope, I promise, even when it feels like there isn't, uh, that the sun's going to rise tomorrow. You know, and I use that metaphor a lot because the nighttime is hardest for me. Um, so, so find, try to find the things that you know are worse for you and do what you can against those, you know? So I know that the nighttime is the hardest for me because there's nothing to do. I can't distract myself with anything. There's usually nobody to talk to. And so there is hope. I promise you, um, things get a lot better. If you talk about them, you know, there's power in naming things. They lose some of their power. Um, so I don't know, just if you're considering leaving, please don't. Yeah. Yeah, some great words of advice. Well, thank you very much, Robert. Hey, I'm really glad uh, we had a chance to connect on the show. Really, yeah. want, really want to thank you for taking the time uh, to be on the show. Absolutely. And I uh, hope you continue to thrive with the work you're doing. It's incredible well, thank work. You. Thank you. I owe you an apology. We had to reschedule this a couple of times. So no, no, not I'm, a, I'm a mess. Not a problem at all. Thank you so much. Uh, it was great having the opportunity to interview you. And uh, make sure you stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Keep in touch. All right. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text to 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression and would like to be interviewed for the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at AlLevin18. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files. <laughs>